could you see it growing to a point where someone could essentially come in and just say, hey, I have these ingredients, go to it, AI, and I want lunch. It's how to talk to AI with your hosts, Go to Go and West the Synth Mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you, burgeoning AI culinarians, this is HTTTA, How to Talk to AI. I'm your host, West the Synth Mind, Synth Mind West. And as always, wait, hey, I'm just getting, I'm getting a report in from the skies above. That's right, folks. Goda's not here this week. She's on vacation, but we have a special aerial guest, our eye in the sky, the queen of the Zeppelins herself, Goda, the gondolier. Hi, Wes. Hi, Keegan. I'm sorry I missed the podcast, but as you can see, I'm a bit flying in the air. I can't wait to hear your discussion and your cooking experience. Today, we're thrilled to have Keegan Dargy join us, the CTO and partner at Make More Creative, a family run creative intelligence agency specializing in end-to-end brand development and deployment. They help their clients shape and share their stories and roll them out to the world. But they also create fun stuff like the Kitchen AI. Keegan is a self-taught Python and Java developer and was quickly drawn to the world of artificial intelligence as the fascination with it began. Closed beta back in the day, playing around with the GPT-3 models as early as 2020. He took his interest in AI to new heights, diving into IBM's Watson natural language understanding, and created his first GPT-3-based Discord chatbot, of which he has a litany of now. I have seen them myself. Since then, Keegan has developed an array of AI-powered personal tools capable of generating everything from sales scripts to social media content. And because of this, spotting a unique opportunity He combined AI with personal nutrition, recipe generation, and content creation by developing the Kitchen AI. This innovative platform, leveraging large language models and some clever prompt engineering, intelligently customizes recipes for specific dietary needs, provides step-by-step instructions, social media copy, and the AI-generated image of the dish. Keegan's work is a testament to the practical use of technology in solving real-world problems, and a real-world application of generative AI, and the incredible synthesis that happens when humans and AI collaborate together. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kitchen AI's executive chef himself, Keegan Dargy. Thank you for having me, Wes. This is awesome. Great. I'm so glad you're here. And I'll be the first one to say, as a, a culinarian, past, present, and hopefully future, I was, you know, floored and just so taken aback by uh, everything you're doing with the Kitchen AI. I find it so fascinating. And we're going to be putting a little bit of that to the test later on in the episode. But so let's, let's, let's rewind the tape a little bit. Yeah. You know, what was your first kind of initial inspiration to build the Kitchen AI? Yeah, that's a great question. So it all kind of started... Like I've been, I've been playing around with AI for a few years now. Uh, generative AI. I, I did some like machine learning here and there, but... I found a lot more fun working with the large language models. And uh, as soon as ChatGPT came out, I realized that AI was just happening like now. And, you know, one of the things I needed to focus on was to really dive in to artificial intelligence, generative AI, and just start building some stuff. 
And um, a project that I had already started working on was doing sort of like custom recipes for my family. Because, you know, my family, as as we're getting older, we, you know, go through dietary changes. We have like health conditions that pop up. And one of the hardest things that we found was that, you know, how do we change our like our food intake, like what we're eating? How do we change that to match these new health conditions or dietary needs or whatever? And um, that's sort of where it all started. I found a recipe that um, that my family used to make. And we altered that recipe on the specific health conditions that were required. And we made it and it actually turned out really good. It kept blood sugar down. It, it did everything that it needed to do to match the new health conditions that my family was experiencing. And yeah, that sort of was the birth of the Kitchen AI. And I went on to start building the entire thing. Yeah. So, I mean, and for our listeners and those who haven't had a chance to surf over to this, please do yourself a favor. This is a completely autonomous AI cooking website. All of the, like we said in the intro, all the recipes are generated uh, each day. Um, all of the food imagery, all the copy. And let me tell you, as someone who fancies himself to know his way around the kitchen, it is exceptionally detailed and a testament to just uh, how your workflow and, and everything is set up with the kitchen AI. Can you take us through a couple of the features? Um, I've got it up here on the, screen right now, where would you direct somebody uh, when they jump on the uh, site for the first time? Yeah, sure. So you can see all of the recipes that we've been doing had pretty much started since January. But once you get onto the front page, you can just click like today's top pick or today's picks at the top of the at the top of the page. And that'll yeah. just bring you to whatever we created that day. And um, this is pretty much almost fully automated process of creating the recipe, having it up onto the website and doing the whole social media campaign. And uh, as you scroll down, um, basically what it starts with is just a little description of the dish, uh, sort of what's going on. And then the do this with that stuff is the instructions mm -hmm. on the dish. And the you need this stuff is the ingredients. One of my favorite parts about building this thing out was because uh, I wanted to, I, I was doing manually like, you know, I'd write in a recipe and be like, you know, salmon, rice dish, good for like high blood pressure or something. And it would create that recipe specifically for that health condition. But I wanted it to sort of be for anybody where I can put in something general and it'll alter that recipe based on what you need. So if you just scroll down a little bit there, one of the first things that we have is uh, the obvious and not so obvious variations and pairings. Mm. And... um First, it starts with the flavor profiles. So when you're in the flavor profiles, say that you are like, oh, this dish was good, but I want it to be a little bit more saltier. It gives you sort of steps there to increase the sodium content, how you can, how you can make it more salty. And it goes through all, uh, all different flavor profiles from like spicy and sweet and umami, everything. And it just tells you how to change that. This is so great. Um, yeah. We're going to put some of this to the test here later on in the episode. So the... The dish that we pulled up here, I sent Keegan in advance of the episode something that I had cooked before, and I'm going to display that now. It's a nice piece of crispy skin salmon with some pineapple fried rice. I said, "All right, well, let's see, let's see AI's version of that." And later on, I'm going to prepare this, and uh, we'll kind of give a evaluation. So, to to give a specific example for this recipe, which is called uh, sizzling samba salmon with fiery pineapple pilaf a dinner for two. 
has has a lot of Hawaiian and Thai inspired flavors. Uh, but if someone wanted to say make it a little saltier, it has five recommendations like add two tablespoons more fish salt, add a half a teaspoon of garlic salt to the salmon seasoning, add a quarter cup of diced olives to the pilaf. Some like real actionable, like no kidding steps that honestly, like a professional chef would would make these or take these to make adjustments to to their dish. What kind of, uh, I mean, did you consult any resources to kind of get it to perform in this way? Or is this just, uh, you know, just built into these language models themselves, their general body of knowledge? Yeah, it, a lot of it, like I, I did a lot of experimentation. Like one of the things that I really tried to nail down was what is everything that I can possibly get from a single recipe? You know, I went to a lot of recipe blogs and I've seen sort of what they do. And usually it's just the ingredients and instructions and then a blog about like the stuff that happens. But I wanted to take it. Even most recipe blogs, like someone's life story, and then you get down recipe at the bottom. That's my experience anytime with that. Yeah, totally. An SEO optimized chunk just so their lasagna recipe happens to, you know, hit the first page. But to do that, they got to tell you the entire written oral history of, you know, Tuscany before you get down to how many uh, how many boxes of noodles are you going to need totally man yeah that that was that was actually one of the things that inspired me to actually create a blog out of this and you know one of the things that you'll notice is like there's no ads on the website and mm-hmm. that's intentional we tried doing ads in the beginning to see if it was worth it but like we only wanted to do a small amount in the beginning anyways but we decided you know what let's just scrap all the ads we hate ads we hate bloat let's just get right down to the to the actual content of what's going on. And yeah. that's why our recipe is like, you know, the ingredients and instructions are right at the top. Um, that in and of itself, regardless of who made it, AI or human, is something you should uh, celebrate in my book. Yeah, totally. One of the, uh, a couple of the other things that I want to show with the uh, variations and pairings, just to go through sort of the process of how these recipes are created, is, um, you know, the next thing that you'll see after the flavor profiles is the drink pairings. And I thought this would be a fun addition. Like, uh, you know how you're supposed to have like white wine with fish, for example. Yeah. This is a fish. This is a fish dish. And one of the top things it says is Sauvignon Blanc, a I white mean, wine. This is it's so on point. Maybe I'm overstating it, but like I've I have been obsessed with food since I was like a five year old. You know, I'll share some pictures of some of the stuff I've created in a newsletter. I mean, I experimented with having my own catering biz for a while. I mean, it, I'm just. All I watched on YouTube before AI videos was just food videos and cooking stuff, knife skills training, all kinds of stuff like that. So like when I see some of these pairings, I'm like, it is it it staggers me how specific and kind of spot on some of this is. I mean, for example, you just mentioned the Sauvignon Blanc. They they mention a specific type of beer from Thailand, a lager style beer called Thai Singa beer to balance the heat from the Thai chilies. Well, I mean, like, does is that something from the model or is it, you know, some really clever zero shot or few shot prompts that is causing that information to come in? Yeah, it's it's honestly really it's really interesting. This is sort of the maybe like the third iteration on the back end of the kitchen AI. And there's definitely a lot of zero and one shot prompts. There's nothing specific on what to show for what. Essentially, the way that it's it built is it takes the ingredients 
So every piece of this is sort of broken down and it'll take the ingredients to determine these drink pairings. And it'll say, okay, based on these ingredients, what would be the best drink, alcoholic and non-alcoholic, what would be the best drink for this and why? And I wanted to test the limits of what AI could do with like, you know, really having a small prompt to increasing the prompt and getting more content in there. And it does a remarkable job. This is GPT-4. It does a remarkable job at, you know, just figuring it out and knowing what flavor profiles go with what. Truly remarkable. And this is, I think that's, that's another thing to state. Like this is based GPT-4, granted the best probably language model out there right now, pulling these things together. But imagine the possibilities if you top layer fine tune on, you know, some specific culinary style or culinary textbooks or flavor textbooks or even like transcripts of cooking shows. I mean, like, man, just the possibilities. And then this, I don't think I've ever seen the thing we just clicked on right now is he's got a section for dietary restrictions where each kind of dietary style is mentioned and what instructions or modifications should be made to the dish based on that. So if you want to make this dish keto, it says remove the rice, remove the fish sauce. If you want to make it Mediterranean, replace the Thai cilantro with fresh parsley, add tomatoes, add kalamatas. You want to make it paleo, pescatarian, vegan, vegetarian, whole 30. I mean, that might be 10 searches in and of itself is to get some of that insight in one place. Certainly scrolling through several life stories worth of text to to see if that top hit on Google has the information you need on how to make your dish paleo friendly. This, I mean, just such a clever idea. And I mean, did you have to dial in some specific parameters? Like, you know, say, hey, this is a paleo diet or does GPT-4 just know about that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's another thing that I had to experiment with a little bit was, you know, what does GPT actually know? And how well does it know that specific topic? I tried it with really explaining what keto diet was, for example. And then I tried it with just not saying anything. I was saying, this is a keto diet, you know, change these ingredients so it fits that dietary restriction. And it worked, you know, without having to explain every single thing. You know, when it comes to prompt engineering, you know, the better your prompt, the more information that you can feed it typically results in a better output. The way that I had to structure, because I, I didn't want to go through like 20 different, you know, dietary restrictions. This is just yeah. something that I wanted to do for fun. So I just put it out there. But, you know, if if I did go through every single dietary restriction and then really labeled it out, like don't have this, don't have this, don't have this, it should do this, it should do this, blah, blah, blah. The results probably would be a little bit better. But for now, I mean, what it is currently, it works like, um, you know, we've tested this out for like dietary restrictions. You know, and we did some calculation. The, the problem is, though, is because this is AI and we don't have like I don't have any I don't have anything that's like going and checking to make sure that it is 100 percent accurate. That's to come later. But you yeah. can see there at the top, right? Like important note, this is AI. So is it exact? Is it going to be, you know, 100 percent? Not necessarily, but it tries its best. And from what we've seen so far, it, it really works. Yeah. To the last, the last section he has, and this is for every single recipe. There's these flavor profiles, pairings, dietary restrictions, or how to modify the recipe based on health conditions. You want someone with celiac disease or diabetes or heart disease. I mean, it's just like so 
so thoughtful in the sense that this can be your one-stop shop for for some recipe inspiration. What are some of your plans with the Kitchen AI? How do you hope to uh, make it even more interactive? Yeah, so we're gonna we're getting some cookbooks ready. We thought it would be fun to have our robot recipes in an actual book form, so you don't have to just search the web for everything. But um, the thing that I'm currently working on is really trying to turn this into a platform. You know, being able to set your own preferences and set your own you know dietary restrictions or you know, do you like spicy food? Do you like spice at all? Or how spicy do you want things? And then having that specific profile and then run it through the model and then having these recipes being extremely catered to you is the direction that, that we're heading in with this. Wow. I mean, you know, could, could you see it growing to a point where someone could essentially come in and just say, hey, I have these ingredients, go to it, AI, you know, uh, and I want lunch. Something like that. Is there kind of like a vision for that or something? Yeah, totally. Yeah. One of the really cool things that I saw on YouTube is this this kid on YouTube, McKay Wrigley, uh, that some people may have seen, maybe not, is this guy that taught himself how to code. Similar to me, I'd say. And he created this like Python app tool where it connects to his phone. And he can point it in his fridge and it points out all of the ingredients that are in his fridge. That is totally something that I'd love to add into the platform. Computer vision cooking. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and having a list of ingredients that you have, like, this is what I currently have. Yeah. Totally. Like, this is what I have. Make something with that is absolutely on the table. And you don't even need to use your thumbs to enter it in. You just need to hold your hold your phone up and point it at the refrigerator or the pantry and be like, AI, tell me what to make. Do this. Yeah. (laughs) It opens a, on one side of the coin, is this the death of creativity in the kitchen? You know, because we're no longer thinking about it. I tend to fall on the side of, hey, you pair this with some, someone with some serious expertise, a chef, and give them some of the levers to pull and twist and tweak I mean, the, the possibilities of creating a AI generated menu, but that's prompted by a chef and maybe even trained on their prior recipes, I think is a tremendous prospect. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would really like to, uh, I mean, first thing I would really like to see some expert chefs trying these recipes. Like we've tried a couple of them and a couple of them are really, really good. Like I got to say, one of the earlier ones that I tried was a French toast mm-hmm. and the batter was batter was unreal. But the thing that really made it spectacular was that after pan frying the French toast, it told you to put it in the oven for 10 minutes. And that's oh. what made it. Oh, my God, man. It was that's what made it like the best like, French toast. I've ever had. Wow. See, that's yeah. some technique stuff that it suggests. And that's not that's not commonplace. And any recipe that you're going to find when you do a Google search for something, they are not going to give you the kind of like technical pointers. And, you know, for me as a, as a home cook, my recipes, my palate didn't evolve until I learned some, some techniques, some knife skills, what pots to use for what measurement conversions. And another part of the kitchen AI that I think is just a great feature is you have a whole section on tips, which is just this, technique stuff 
Yeah, it, it actually, um, it stemmed from an idea from my wife and she was like, uh, I think if you go to the bottom there, I can't remember what the very first one was, but one of the things that she wanted to do, she was like, how can I prepare my food best? And let's right. see the Mazen place. So it's like, it's, uh, plus, yeah, Mazen plus. Yeah. So, um, she was like, how can I do this best? And we asked chat GPT. We started with ChatGPT and like asked, how do we do this? And then we like built a prompt around sort of getting these kitchen tips. And uh, it's, it's incredible, man. Like the, the amount of knowledge that you can get from artificial intelligence and these, these generative AI is so great. And we thought that it would be so fitting to have this type of knowledge on our blog. I just pulled up the, the article on mastering the art of mise en place. For those that don't know, that means all in place. And it is the, uh, the the phrase that when it's said in a professional kitchen, you know, hey chef, you know, is your mise ready? You ready with your mise? It's basically their organizational technique, how stuff is laid out so they can cook and prepare something as efficiently as possible. And it's a great analogy for life as well, you know, kind of having everything all in place. So I mean, I can't say enough about some of the different components that you've thought about. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited to see sort of where this where this whole thing goes. Every time that we tell somebody about the kitchen AI, the response has just been so positive. And yeah. the further they dig into it and the more that they see of what we're doing, they're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, let's try some of these things. And, you know, it's great seeing what people can do. Well, speaking of try, I thought it'd be very appropriate. We're going to we're going to cut away at this point in the podcast. Please check us out on youtube because i am going to prepare the dish that ai came up with for me this uh the salmon dish that i've made before i'm going to cook ai's version of it and report back have you discussed or, or thought about possibly getting together with culinary school or finding a really high-end innovative chef to potentially say hey let's let's take a shot at this let's cook an ai menu for diners and see how it is. Yeah, we're talking with some of the schools here in, in Calgary, this is where we are, Calgary, Canada, and um, chatting with Sate. Sate has a division focused on the culinary arts, which is great. So we're looking to do some things with them and see what they can do using the kitchen AI and the kitchen recipes, you know, and we think it would be really cool to have, you know, chef versus AI, like who can do it better? <laughs> and definitely getting into some more social media content, like like yeah. TikTok videos would be fun. But one of my things that I'd love to see would be having like some top chefs go head to head with mm -hmm. some of these recipes and seeing what can come out. Yeah. One of my, uh, when it comes to the future of the kitchen AI, this is already implemented and we're just getting ready to release, which is the sort of the platform that we're building, but it has the component of changing the difficulty level. So, you know, if you're a beginner, it'll give you recipes and instructions specifically for beginner level. But I thought I would see how far we go. And I created a master level, which I'm not a master chef. Like I, I cook a little bit, but definitely not that level. And um, so I did a little bit of research on some of the terminology and I created a master difficulty where it goes into like some really exotic foods and some really complex instructions and using like high-end cookware and stuff like that as well. I, I didn't try making them yet, 
But yeah. uh, I tried building them out just to read sort of what, what it would create. And I'm really excited. I would love to see some master level chefs trying, trying some of these recipes. I mean, I'm eager to try that because I'm the second it recommends me, you know, hey, get, get your agar agar and make little tiny spheres of your sauce or your dressing as caviar. I'm going to be like, oh my God, this is too much. This is, it's like it knows how to, uh, knows how to cut into chef's weaknesses in terms of like <laughs> something that's just so tedious in the kitchen just to get something so, uh, so beautiful looking. Yeah, but, uh, totally. Such a, that's such a fun idea. I mean, I, I encourage everyone to go check out the kitchen AI, you know, throw them a little bit of support by buying a hat, buying an apron, you know, even if you don't end up making anything, I happen to love all the little avatars and robot chefs and little colonistas that it seems to come up with. And um, hot damn, does it make some good food photography pictures too? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a really fun process creating these images because all the images are generated through the large language model as well. So it'll look at the recipe, the instructions and the ingredients, and then it'll be like, based on this information, how should this look? And right. then it'll give a prompt on, you know, how it should look. And then, you know, just pop that into, yeah, pop that into a text to image AI and yeah. then creates everything. It's remarkable. So your image generation prompt is actually considering the ingredients themselves and um, how it's prepared and how it's prepared in its yeah. formulation. Man, that's an interesting little bit of prompt engineering there too, because as opposed to just describing the end state of a dish, this is starting from the raw ingredients and using those as building blocks within the prompt to create, I would arguably say some of the best food, like generated food images. In my prior attempts, it tends to take a lot of iteration, at least for me, to just kind of get every little single component right. You know, you're making a close up image of a burger, but it's got, you know, fries on the burger. Well, unless you're going for that, like, all right, well, that's, that's <laughs> not what I want. That's not how people are used to seeing it. But just the fact that, that is what's done to make these images come together, I think is just tremendous. Just on top of that as well, with how I'm building the new platform is for every instruction, it'll tell you what the, it should smell like, what it should taste like, the textures. So as you're building out this recipe, it'll tell you sort of what to expect for every step and to really help you hone in. And I think it like... The kitchen AI is almost, it could almost turn into like an education on how to cook. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just, as we speak here, I just happened to click on another recipe that is a traditionally a little harder of a dessert to make macarons. You have to use almond flour. Temperatures are very important. You actually cook it in a kind of cooler oven traditionally. And the kitchen AI it nails that on the head, 300 degree oven for a longer period of time. It even make recommendations about some of the ingredients, the temperatures they need to be at before assembling stuff together, which in baking is vitally important. So just the level of detail you've put into this, man, I encourage everyone to check it out. Even just, you know, spin the wheel and see what you land on and say, hey, all right, let's try it. Let's try to make it. I think you might surprise yourself. Thanks, man. Cool, cool. Well, have you, I think this is a terrific example of just one of those use cases for AI, specifically generative AI, in a industry, in a world that's not tech-centric. I mean, the culinary industry does not have a core that's foundational, you know, founded upon technology. Are there any other industries or practices or things that 
that you know about, that you find compelling, that's a non-tech centric industry that uses generative AI. That uses currently or that could use. Um, or yeah, or could use, you know, something that you think might be an interesting use of it. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, fashion was one thing that we were yeah. chatting about a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, my wife is in fashion and she, the things that AI can help you with and can do is just remarkable, especially with Midjourney version five and yeah. above can just do some stunning images of art, such as, yeah, what you're looking at here. So, I mean, I pulled this up too. And it's so funny that your spouse also comes at this from a, you know, a textile and fabric and that kind of creative, that creative angle, because I found in being able to watch my wife kind of describe a certain dress or certain look that they're trying to achieve in an image, it's all terminology that I would never know or include in there. Right now, I pulled up a couple different images of a, a type of dress she was looking to create. So these are photorealistic models. We'll include them in the, uh, the newsletter that are wearing a dress with ruffle sleeves that flutter at the shoulders and merge around the scoop neck. It's fitted, smocked body flounces in a dreamy midi skirt decorated with custom lace inserts. And then it goes on to describe the model itself. But I'm like, that level of detail, you know, that it just shows points to that person's creativity, that person's expertise. It achieves this tremendous looking image that I find, I find at least is, is, you know, can it kind of also take, take fashion to new levels maybe. Yeah. And when it comes to prompt engineering as well, I mean, that's a long prompt. And one of my, one of the things that I've really realized about prompt engineering is it's not necessarily how big the prompt is. Like I said earlier, you know, a large prompt can be good. But it's the content in that prompt where you describe things in detail and go through exactly what you're looking for. You know, one of the one of the things that I tell people all the time is the better you know what you're talking about, the better you're able to do some prompting. And, yes. you know, I, I don't know anything about fashion, but the description of those images goes through a lot of stuff that I would have no idea about. And, you know, look at the results. And I think it actually kind of does does something twofold here aside from it producing a much more i would venture to say striking and unique image that from a perspective of someone who works in generative ai and has clients that commission him to make professional images like this it makes the outcomes better but then there's also this whole other side of it that is a, a emerging industry right now where people will prompt ai to create wild fashion out there that's so that's so wild man what we're it, looking at right now is a, a a picture of just this i mean how would you even describe it it's like a it's a nike sweatsuit being worn by a model but the 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 neck of it is up really like a super tall neck it's got kind of this capey futuristic thing happening i mean anything else you could even like it, how you would see something like that but it's but it works in its own way. One of the one of the cool things I messed around this with this a little bit, and one of one of the fun things I like to sort of see what AI thinks of is like, what do you think of the future? And you know, in in this case, you could create a prompt that is like, show me 
a realistic image of a model in 2200, what do they look like? And like some of the, some of the results are, are so mind blowing because it's just like, oh, this is what I think it could be, you know? And I think that that's so cool. No, I know I've seen several Instagram accounts of people that will do that kind of prompting and then go, all right, I'm going to go make that for real. Yeah. So much so that, uh, I think there's an actually a entire, uh, site now called Kala where you can do generative AI from within or upload generated AI images. I'm pulling it up on the site now and you can provide little notes on certain parts of the garment where you want it to feel textures. And then the service will actually give you pricing for a certain number of those units to be made and the, the sizing, the mood board. It's very kind of innovative way to basically capture the entire supply chain or the entire design process, at least. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love I love the direction that AI is going. And I think that we're going to see such a different world by this time next year. AI, especially generative AI, has been mainstream maybe close, not even mainstream, but like definitely getting bigger over the last six months. It's growing exponentially. It's, it's getting better so quickly. And to see what we, you know, to see where we're at next year, you know, next June, July is just going to be such a different landscape. I had seen a, a study today, one of the biggest surveys they had done on, you know, people's knowledge and having tried a bunch of different types of generative AI technologies, at least here in the States. And it was something like 58% of people knew about ChatGPT or had tried it. That was the most widespread one at this point with the, the one that's the least known about is a stable diffusion platform because that also is a little steeper learning curve to get up and running on. But, you know, you're absolutely right. Like there's still plenty of people that even just kind of like figure out, hear about this stuff, use it. It's only going uh, to take off from here. I think as well, like one of my favorite things about this whole industry is that the amount of collaboration and open source where people are like, they're actually like a lot of these things, you can actually like Falcon was one of the most, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago. I can't keep up anymore with the AI race. It's so quick, but Falcon was at one point, one of the best open source models out there that was really close to ChatGPT and other other large language models and it, it's completely open source you can download it put it on your computer run it on your own hardware you know stable diffusion i think is also open source right mm -hmm. um yeah so it's just it's such an awesome landscape that we're living in where people are contributing and building these things out i think we were talking about this maybe a few weeks ago but you know when you had the dot-com boom that was us you know actually discovering the internet, how to use it. And I mean, in the term, what is it? The term surfing the web literally means people just used to put in different combinations of words, you know, before they were indexed by Google, before they were searchable and see where it got them. There was a website about it. If someone had made something, that was literally what the origin of surfing the web is. Now that it's so ingrained in every aspect of our society and daily lives, you have all this creativity and development happening at the same time at once you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. That, Love that movie. That, yeah, that's a good flip. That now kind of like, uh, you know, gets much more collaboration happening. And then someone does something over here, gives someone an idea to iterate on that. And it just kind of exponential is not even the word. It's like vertical in terms of the, 
the growth of a lot of these different type of, of things or ideas or possibilities. One of my favorite things about the AI dilemma was that they said, they said something along the lines of like, AI is growing so fast, we cannot conceive it. We can't, we cannot even imagine how fast it's growing. I think yeah. they said like, I can't remember exactly. I watched the video once. I think they said it was like double exponential. It was so fast that we just can't understand how fast it is. I mean, that's, I totally agree. Well, yeah. with that, a good enough place to end as anywhere. So for everyone here at HTTTA, I am Wes the Synthmine for Keegan Dargy saying happy prompting, everybody. Thank you. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone.